I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Our guests this week are exactly our kind of people, investors with families who got started investing in small buy and hold real estate. Now they're helping other people build passive income over at Good Egg Investments. They have a new course available on passive investing, and they really are a couple of good eggs. Julie Lamb, Andy Dickerson, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to have you guys. Let's get right into it. Tell us the story about how you guys got into real estate. Sure. Annie, you want to go first? Sure. It's a it's a very similar story, actually. So, um, so both Julie and I started about um, 10 years ago. And when I started, I was in Washington, D.C. My husband and I were about to buy our first condo or loft. We were so excited. And then we had a very smart realtor who talked us out of it and said, maybe it might be better if you bought one of these nifty row homes, which are very popular in D.C., because not only does it have a great upstairs unit, but it has an in-law suite in the basement. And if you're smart about it, you could rent out that in-law suite and you could maybe get it to be cash flow positive. I never heard that term before, but I loved it instantly. And I was like, yeah, let's do that. I want to be cash flow positive. And so that's how we fell into it was through house hacking. And then we purchased a few more duplexes after that. That's awesome. Yep. And very, yep, very similar story for me. I was doing the traditional narrative of getting married and buying a home and was looking to buy either a loft in downtown Oakland or buy a townhome, a three and a half bedroom, two and a half bath townhome. And at the time it was just my husband and I, and I told my real estate agent, I said, what do I need with these three and a half bedrooms? It's just my husband and I not even thinking, you know, down the road and kids and all that. I just thought, you know, I don't want to live in this huge house with all these rooms. And she said, you know, if you buy this place as opposed to the loft, then you can rent out the other rooms and effectively house hack, right? And offset your debt payments. And I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Let's, let's do that. And so we did that. And that was our sort of introduction to real estate investing. Didn't really know what I was doing, you know, at that time. Didn't know that I was actually real estate investing, um, but got into that, um, that way and uh, house hacked for, for about three years until we got married and started having kids and moved out and then just continued to manage the property until we sold uh, a couple of years ago, actually. So yeah, that's how I, how we got in. So you both got started pretty much with house hacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, I don't want to go too far into the future, but what was, uh, what were your next properties? Well, um, for us, we were collecting the alphabet. So we started with Alpha, then Bravo, Charlie, and Delta. We started in Washington, D.C., and then we moved a couple times. Um, Now we're in Oakland, California. We have some duplexes here. And then we started investing out of state 
for the first time and ran into a whole host of new issues because for the first time we were no longer house hacking. We were buying properties that we had never seen before, that we had never lived in before, whose neighborhoods we didn't know. And so that has been our journey from house hacking to out-of-state investing. And then my next property after that one was actually purchased the next year. We, you know, that was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. We're living not for free, but very close to it. And so we thought this is great. Real estate is great. It was a great time. It was 2009. Uh, we bought our next property in 2010, also in Oakland and California. Um, you know, properties in 2009 and 10 here in the Bay Area, in particular, uh, some markets, not exactly San Francisco, but were pretty much like 50% off. And so we purchased them with the thought that, you know, when the market recovers in five to seven years that we could recapture the value that was originally there, you know, a year or two prior from what, you know, at the price that we were buying it for. Um, and so that was our next property. And then we started buying a few more and then it, we started buying out of state in 2016 uh, after we started selling the properties here in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, we're basically looking for cash flow. And, you, you know, in 2016, cash flow, even now, obviously, here in the Bay Area is, is hard to come by, right, on the properties we buy. So you both have some, some obviously, homes that, that you are um, renting out, that kind of thing. But what is the main thing that you guys are doing now as far as real estate investing or the real estate? sphere. Yeah. So for me on personally, the biggest thing that I'm doing now is real estate syndications and investing as a passive investor. And I started out doing that in 2016 uh, after I started purchasing a couple properties out of state and realizing how much work it was. Uh, luckily, I didn't get too far down that path, but um, I did purchase a few properties and then found real estate syndications as a passive and that changed my world. And I did one in the end of 2016 and never looked back. And I've done about seven, seven deals now as a passive. Uh, and I quit my job back in March of this year because of, you know, being able to replace my income through passive investing. So, and then also started my business with, with Annie Good Egg Investments. And, uh, you know, through Good Egg, we helped to ha other families to basically achieve the same thing that both Annie and I have done, which is quit our jobs and, uh, you know, be able to have flexibility in our lives with our family and, and personal life as well. So, Because yeah. you know what we realized is that it turns out everybody loves the cash flow aspect of real estate investing, mm -hmm. but very few people love the landlording aspect of real estate investing, the phone calls in the middle of the night, the property management, all of that stuff. Not everyone should be a landlord. <laughs> and, and so that's what we help people do is we help people to invest in real estate without having to deal with the hassles of being a landlord. And we do that through helping them passively invest in real estate syndications. What kind of syndications are you guys typically involved in? Like what um, kind of properties? Multifamily, primarily multifamily. We do do uh, some self-storage and mobile home parks as well, but I would say, uh, you know, most of what's in our portfolio is multifamily apartment buildings. Awesome. Gotcha. And are you guys um, the sponsor from um, on those properties or are you primarily on bringing the money side? Primarily bringing the money side. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. But obviously you're involved, you're, you know, you're, you're involved in the underwriting and the marketing and all that of the syndication, correct? 
Um, to a certain degree. I mean, we, you know, usually by the time we are brought into a deal, it's usually under contract already. So uh, underwriting, yes, to the extent that when we are presented with a deal, we do our own underwriting to evaluate whether it's a deal we want to do. Um, but we're not necessarily involved in the underwriting before the deal is actually under contract and evaluating whether that's, you know, a deal we're going to purchase or not. That decision is usually made prior to us coming on board. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned um, that not everyone should be a landlord. And you guys have obviously been on that, on the, the active side of landlording. Um, can you give us a couple of examples of maybe what drove you out of being active landlord? <laughs> uh, let's try to keep this short. Um, but, but it's, not yeah. just, it's not just one? <laughs> oh, I mean. No, no everything goes honest. smoothly. What are you doing? <laughs> it's rainbows and unicorns. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, probably the biggest one was buying a single family home, really cute, adorable property, two lots, one home. I thought, oh, I'll build another property on the lot. It was in Indianapolis, um, decent area or so I thought. Um, and, you know, nice home, not too bad in condition, purchased it from a wholesaler, rehabbed it, threw it on the market, and it sat vacant for five months. In that time period, it got broken into. Um, it, it took, finally we got somebody in there and then they paid rent for like two months. And then the third month came along, never saw a check, had to call the property manager, find out what's going on. We had to evict. I mean, it was that property in particular was the last property that I purchased and will never single family home and maybe, or maybe not buy single family homes again. Um, but that was primarily the, the huge, you know, thing that was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. And for us, you know, we thought we were terrific landlords the first several years that we were doing house hacking <laughs> because it was so easy. We were living in these duplexes. We had tenants upstairs or next door and, you know, they were our friends. They paid on time early even and there were no issues when there were maintenance things. They told us right away. We went and fixed them. It was easy peasy. And then when we started investing out of state in neighborhoods that we didn't know, uh, things just, things happened that we had never experienced before. We had people who weren't paying for months on end. We had some guy who left in the middle of the night and left his dog behind and didn't tell anyone. So the dog chewed up all the drywall. We had somebody who we had to evict because she wasn't paying for months and months on end. And she ended up uh, stopping up all the sinks and tubs in her unit, left the water running and left and flooded the unit and the one next door and then one next door to that. <laughs> and so it's just all of these issues that we hadn't seen before because we had no experience being a real landlord. I consider house hacking landlording to be sort of a, a stepping stone. But when you invest out of state or you invest in a real rental property, then you become a full-fledged landlord. Yeah. Yeah. Our experience with Airbnb is pretty light on the, the issues. It's like occasionally some mishap with cleaning or something. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it might, like, be, it might be, you know, like this, it was just Thanksgiving and, you know, we, our cleaning lady who handles our turnover was out of town. And we had a last minute booking on Thanksgiving day, wasn't it? Oh no. I don't know. It was like a one nighter. Oh, no. I was like, why didn't we block it off? <laughs> and so, you know, so I had to go in and it's not hard. I mean, it's 400 square foot space. If that it's right there on our property. Um, but like you said, you know, it'd be, it'd be a whole different story if it was even across town. Right. Uh, right. Or yeah. 
you know, we know some, we've state. met some, yeah. uh, some Airbnb investors or landlords who are out of state. That's a whole mm, other right. thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mostly it's just sunshine, rainbows, unicorns. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right now. Um, awesome. So you guys moved into syndication, obviously, because mm-hmm. who wants to deal with all that? Um, what is the destination from here? What's, where is this? Um, where's real estate taking you? Well, I think a big part of what we realized in getting into the syndication space is that, you know, both Julie and I had been investing in real estate for nearly 10 years before we had discovered this thing called syndications. And when each of us did, we had our own respective journeys of trying to figure out if this thing was legit, who do we invest with, how do we do this, what's the process. There wasn't a single resource. There was a forum thread here and a podcast there and an article here, and it was really hard to figure this whole thing out. And so I think that's a big part of what's driving us forward and driving our mission for Good Egg Investments is really just spreading the word and letting people know that these opportunities are out there. Because I think a lot of people are intimidated by real estate investing because for stocks, you know, you could go on to Fidelity or Scott Trade and click a button and suddenly you're an investor. But for real estate, the hurdle is so high that a lot of people just, they get, they get intimidated and they turn away. But there's such value and there's such potential in building wealth in real estate um, that we want to provide that to more people. And we think that a big part of that is through passive investing. Awesome. Anything to add, Julie? No, no, she summed it up pretty much. That's it. Yeah. So obviously, you know, going from being an active investor um, to more on the syndication side of things, you know, you you hinted that this, it's not, um, it's not exactly the same. How did you go about getting yourself educated on syndicating? Yeah. I mean, well, for me personally, it was just research, 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 research for about a good six to eight months before I actually for, pulled the trigger on my first deal. Uh, it was researching, it was networking, it was listening to podcasts, it was reading, you know, any books I could get my hands on. Um, but I would say the biggest piece of all of that was the networking. Uh, was just reaching out to everyone that would talk to me about what they were doing and real estate syndication and how it worked and, you know, what their involvement was in, you know, in syndications and in understanding the different opportunities within real estate syndications as an active, as a passive, uh, you know, how many sponsors there are in a deal, understanding what sponsors even are. Uh, understanding what my role is. There was so much work that went into it, um, which is part of the reason why we created Good Egg Investments, as Annie has mentioned, um, is just that there was, it, it was here, it was there, it was everywhere. And it was really hard to sort of pull it all together and get to the point of feeling comfortable and saying, okay, I'm ready. You know, I'm, I'm ready to, to make my first investment. Um, but I would say primarily that it was the networking and the educating myself. And Annie? Well, uh, my process was a little different because I came to it um, from the standpoint that I wanted to uh, lead a syndication because what was happening was we were doing all these out-of-state investments and we were able to scale much more quickly than we could with our house hacks. And so friends and family were taking notice and they said, oh, I want a piece of that. I want to do exactly what you're doing. 
And of course, I'd explain to them all the steps of the process and their eyes would glaze over. (laughs) So that's when I stumbled across this concept of syndications. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, I could drive the bus, everybody else could get in the back and we could all share in some of these deals. And so I, um, I actually joined a program. I joined Michael Blanc's um, apartment investing program. And I highly suggest if you're interested in learning the business of syndication that you find a mentor, somebody who's done it before, because there's just so much to learn. And so I joined his program, met a lot of people through it, and his course is fantastic. It was a great foundation for me to learn all the ins and outs of how to run the numbers, how to evaluate properties, how to talk to investors. And ultimately, that's what allowed me to see that um, the capital raising and the investor relations piece of the whole puzzle was the piece that I loved the most. And it's what um, led Julie and I to form our partnership. Gotcha. I want to backtrack just a little bit and talk about how you financed some of those early deals. I mean, and I don't really mean to say mean the the house hacking deals because those were more sort of personal residence. But early on when you were buying your first out of state investment properties, how did you go about financing those? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just using, you know, our own money that we had saved. Um, on the first deal that I purchased, we actually purchased that from a wholesaler and bought it um, for all cash. And then we uh, implemented the birth strategy and we purchased it for all cash and then, you know, went in and rehabbed it and renovated it, got it rented out and then took it to a bank and refinanced out almost everything that we have in that deal. And I'm cash flowing after my expenses about a thousand dollars a month. So that, that was like one of the ways I did it. But I mean, I think pretty much on all of those out of state deals, we, we financed it with our own, with our own capital. For us, it was a a little bit different. Um, So, when we started out of state investing, it was because I had jumped into the bigger rabbits, uh, bigger rabbits, bigger Ooh. pockets, <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> I actually like that. Bigger rabbits. Yeah, bigger rabbits. Hang on, let me register that domain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I jumped into the bigger pockets rabbit hole and learned about all these different financing strategies. And I thought, oh, well, we don't need to use cash. Let's do something creative. So we got a HELOC on our um, current property and suddenly we had enough to buy a whole property in the Southeast, right? Where things are cheaper than here in the Bay Area. And so that's what we did. Our first out-of-state property we bought um, with our HELOC and then we did um, a, a couple of 1031 exchanges and so we, our financing has been a little bit more um, creative, I would say. Gotcha. No, it's good. And it's, it's good to have that contrast because we've talked to all kinds of people that said, you know, well, I got started with no money down or HELOC or I, I've saved $100,000 for my entire working life and then put it all into real estate. So it's good to hear the difference. Uh, so um, did you have a question? Yeah. Can I, can Go I ahead. Ask? Sorry. <laughs> Um, no I was just curious how you guys like the first time you guys did a syndication were you just involved in the investing side did you create it like you had kind of thought about doing Um, you know what did that those 
that, you know, first or maybe first couple of syndications look like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, that first syndication I, I invested as a passive, um, was not involved on the general partnership side at all. Um, I did that really. I had gone into syndications thinking that I wanted to do my own deal, but then was quickly overwhelmed with how much there is to do when it comes to purchasing an apartment building, right? And so I actually thought that it would be a great way for me to learn about the apartment syndication space if I invested as a passive first, right? If I could do the deal, I would learn about how they're underwriting the deals, what their business strategy is. I would understand why they're picking particular markets um, and sort of just leverage that, um, you know, education through investing as a passive. And so essentially I'm in my mind, I was decreasing my risk and increasing my potential return as opposed to by doing it as a passive, as opposed to doing it as an active. Right. And, and that's exactly what it did. I learned so much through that first deal that I did. And just really because I was researching and trying to figure out, is this a good deal? Do I want to do it? Um, and pulling myself through the process that we now help other investors go through. Um, but, but that was, that, that was like the best thing for me, that first deal that I did. And, and after, that it was I was I was so sold after that I it, I mean any other time I had had significant amounts of income coming into my bank account it was because I had gone to work for it right I had gone to work and two weeks later I expected some money to show up in my bank account and now money shows up in my bank account every month and I don't do a thing other than the due diligence I do up front when I'm betting a sponsor or betting a deal right so um, so yeah, that was, that was my story, but yeah. <laughs> and for me that those early days are, are kind of fuzzy in my head, but basically, um, so I, I'm doing the Michael Blanc program. I'm taking the course and I'm, I'm doing it right. So I go out and find a deal that I'm going to take down and I'm in conversation with the broker and, um, you know, I'm pretty close to getting it under contract. So I'm starting to talk to investors investors, putting out a, um, a sample deal deck and really trying to, trying to start raise the money to see if I could make this thing happen. And along the way, somebody approached me through one of these networking events and they said, hey, so I've got this deal and, um, you know, would you be interested in you know, co-syndicating it and helping to raise some money for the deal? And I said, raise money. That's the worst part of the whole thing. Like, why <laughs> that piece? You know, let me run the numbers. Let me talk to the brokers. Like, let me do something fun here. But he said, you know, it, you know, just try it. What do you have to lose? You know, and I was like, Ugh, okay, fine. But I'm not going to raise a lot of money for your deal because I want to save my good investors for my own deal. So I'm just going to raise a little bit for your deal. And so that's what I did. I committed to a little bit to raise for that deal. And because it was further along than the deal I was trying to put together, they had the um, invest, investment summary, they had a webinar, and I could see the whole process unfolding. And my investors got really excited about it. I got really excited about it. I had a phenomenal time. 
educating my investors and talking to them about the merits of this deal, answering their questions. And that's when I realized, and in hindsight, it makes perfect sense because I've been in education for about 10 years, Mm -hmm. that the investor education piece was the piece I loved the most. And so that's when I transitioned from trying to take down a whole deal by myself to just trying to focus on the investor relations and investor education piece. I I completely agree. And I'm sort of um, a similar experience I've had, which is when you start talking, when you start talking to people about real estate, you know, you sort of, a lot of times you get that kind of the, the eyes glaze over, but when they, when you, I'm amazed at the number of people who don't even think about it. The only way they think about it as an investment is, Oh, I buy a rental property and I'm a landlord. I don't want to, I don't want to be a landlord, you know, and they don't think about all of the other ways they can get involved in it. You know, then, you know, commercial real estate, retail, self-storage, mobile home parks. But even then, they're still always thinking about it as an active investment. Uh, and most of them have no idea that the whole passive side is out there. Yep. And then they yep. go, well, isn't it risky? Right. It's like, well, you know, the SEC, you know, makes it a little harder for you to invest in it because they think it's risky. But actually, in the long term, it's less risky than the stock market. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm with you. In ed- investor education is actually the most fun part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's probably why we're here. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, uh, what types of deals are you doing now? How, uh, how large are they? You know, what sort of... Um, equity are you guys bringing to the table typically? Yeah, so we're doing um, large apartment buildings primarily. Uh, and when, when I say large, I mean anything usually over 200 units. Um, as of late, for some reason, a lot of the deals that we've been co-syndicating are, are pretty large, like 400 unit apartment buildings. And uh, I would say about 90% of everything we do is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Uh, and, um, yeah, we're, so on this last deal that we did, uh, it was about a $20 million raise. Um, but we were just a small fraction of that. Usually on every deal we do, there's usually a number of folks just like good egg investments that are participating on the deal. So, yeah. And are they, um, I mean, we're digging into the weeds here a little bit, but are they typically, what sort of financing are they typically putting on it? Uh, just regular Fannie Freddie agency debt. Yeah. Uh, and do you, are the terms usually five years, seven years, 10 years, or are they all the way out to like 30 years? No, no, definitely not 30 years. Um, most of them, I would say, are interest only for the first few years. Um, I would say traditionally now we're starting to see seven to 10 year terms, uh, usually fixed uh, rates, not always, but most of the time. And Uh, that's, I think, mostly because of where we are in the market cycle. Our operators are looking for those kinds of of loans because of where we are that we anticipate, uh, you know, some kind of a correction or softening of the market sometime soon. So, yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Just, and so people understand why I'm asking this and why it's important is that commercial loans are typically, they may be amortized over 25 to 30 years, but there's usually a term, uh, which can be as low as, you know, five years um, where they, the loan needs to be paid back. And if there's a market correction and you haven't finished your business plan um, and that loan needs to be paid back, you can get in trouble. So that's why I'm sort of, I'm in agreement with your sponsors. You know, you want something seven to 10 years that gives you some runway um, mm-hmm. to execute your business plan. So Right. Exactly. 
Awesome. How much time are you guys spending on real estate, on good egg investments? Um, yeah. I mean, I would say roughly about, I don't know, 15 hours, 20 hours a week. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. The full-time job for me over here. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. So, okay. So let's back up because um, the way that we've built this partnership is that um, one of the reasons we came together was because Julie and I have such complementary skill sets. And so whereas I wanted to focus on the investor education and the marketing piece, um, her focus is on talking strategy with investors and she loves those conversations. And so a big piece of the work that I do is all the content marketing and the brand building. And so I'm doing a lot of the blogs and the videos and we just launched an online course. And so that stuff does take a lot of time. And um, I would say the, the output of that is hopefully the leads that we get um, that then go and talk to Julie. And so when we have a deal on the table, Julie is very busy. <laughs> She's possibly right. busier than I am. She's answering tons of investor questions. And so right now we don't have a deal on the table. So Julie, you just enjoy your time over there, sister. But <laughs> when that next deal comes, I'll all the work over to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I will say, like, for example, over the summer, um, we had about, gosh, what was it, Annie, like four active deals going on, maybe yeah. five. Yeah. Um, and at that time, it was crazy for me because we were at the beginning phases of some deals and then in the middle phases of funding some deals, which means following up with investors, getting PPMs signed, a lot of work going on. And then at the end where we're closing deals and having to send out the closing emails and making sure that our um, marketing stuff is set up for Facebook and announcing all of that kind of stuff. So at that time period, it was really busy. But for the last like three or four months, we've only had one deal on the table. So my time has been primarily spent um, talking with investors about that one particular deal and also getting them ready for the next deal. But I mean, if I was to look back over the last like seven or eight months that we since we've started, I would say if I could come up with an average number, it varies over time, but it's roughly about 15 and 20 hours a week. Yeah. For someone that maybe wants to just come in and be um, an investor with you guys, what is the time commitment for kind of just getting into being an investor for a syndication? Yeah. Um, so from the point at which it really depends because it depends whether or not we have a deal on the table. Um, like right now, if I talked with someone two months ago, we had that one deal that was on the table, but we were pretty much already full on that deal. So they, and we don't have any active deals now. Um, so it really depends. Um, but if we had a deal on the table and I was, you know, and I met someone and we were chatting about a deal about that particular deal, usually it's about a month to a month and a half from the time the deal is offered to the time we close. And then it takes about another 30 to 45 days for them to receive their first distribution. So I would say it's roughly about two to three months from the time we you know, speak to the time they receive their first distribution. Awesome. And how much time are you spending with an investor? Just kind of like educating and, and talking strategy yeah. with them? Yeah. So uh, that varies from investor yeah. to investor. Um, some investors have five questions and we talk for half an hour and they've done a lot of their research on their own on our website. 
Um, we have a ton of resources on our website that Annie's put out um, that she had mentioned. Um, and then I get other investors who send me emails and it's literally like a, you know, bullet pointed list <laughs> and it's like 20 questions. Right. And, and so it really depends. Um, but I would say on average, you know, it's probably about an hour or so per investor talking them, talking to them on the phone and then going back and forth through email hour, hour and a half. Cool. Um, so I have two follow-ups on that. Um, mm-hmm. Have you ever had an investor uh, that you spoke to where you're like, yeah, this is not going to work. I don't care if you have the money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, uh, absolutely. In fact, I, I know who that person is right now in my mind. <laughs> um, you know, he just uh, wanted to really nitpick the deals and and I would give him my responses and it was, you know, about why I think this is the way it's set up. And I think that's, I believe that it's okay. And he really, I believe now looking back that he just was looking for someone to engage in argumentative conversation. It wasn't really because he didn't like the deal. Um, and, and then, you know, follow up emails, it just, it was, became very clear that, you know, it wasn't going to work. And I just kindly let him know that I think that, you know, if he, if he's found someone else that he really enjoys investing with, he should probably stick with them and that our deals are probably not right for him. So yeah. <laughs> and that's a big part of why we take the time to establish these relationships with our investors is because we don't want to help somebody invest in a deal that's not right for them. And so we, you know, we talk to a, a number of people who, you know, syndications are great, but it's not the right fit for them at this point in their lives. For example, we've had people who have asked us if they should take out a loan to invest uh, in a syndication. And uh, the answer is absolutely not. (laughs) There's a number of things that can go wrong and then you'd be on the hook for that loan. So, you know, there's, um, there's a number of things that we talk to uh, our investors about to, to make sure that these syndications are really the right thing for them. I, I had a great conversation with um, an investor that you guys maybe know the name, uh, named Jay Henrik, um, really sharp guy. And I, I had, uh, he said, you know, it's important to remember that every investor that you bring on is a customer service job. You're going to have, you're going to be in a long-term relationship with that investor. Um, yeah. And so you need to be, you know, you maybe can't be so choosy in the beginning, but as you grow, uh, you need to become choosier because, you know, you don't want to be, you know, at 65, 70 years old handling 300, 500 investors uh, who are all needy and want you to pick up the phone when they call. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm in agreement with that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Are there any systems that you guys have developed to help you sort of automate your business and keep it flowing? Yeah, absolutely. So on the the back end of things, we've got a number of automations built out. And so I would say that um, the automations are primarily built out so that we can help to educate our investors without us having to handhold them or pick up the phone every time to talk to them. And so, for example, um, one of the things we encourage people to do if they're interested in investing with us is to sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club. And in, on the back end, what happens when you sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club is we automatically put you into um, this drip campaign where we send you a series of emails over the course of a month just to help you get to know us and what we're about. And we also send you an invite to schedule a call with Julie. 
And then we also sign you up for our weekly newsletter. So all of this is in an effort to help you to get to know who Good Egg is, whether we might be a right fit for you, and to help familiarize you with the types of things that we're doing, the deals that are available, and the upcoming deals to see if um, we might be a good fit for your investing goals. Gotcha. Anything that you use, uh, Julie? Um, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, so one thing that I do use for setting up those calls is Meeting Bird. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that, but I love it. So like schedule once or one of those like that? Yeah, it's kind of like Calendly or whatever that is, but I've fallen in love with with that. Um, it offers a lot of different uh, things that you can do to basically just get people very easily onto my calendar. So before I used to have to, I would meet someone on Facebook or in person and whatnot. And we'd go back and forth through email about picking a time, setting up the call and all of that, getting them on the calendar. And now I just wake up and on my calendar, there's all of these calls because people find us, they sign up on our website and they go through the automation that Annie talked about and meeting bird is part of that um, process um, to, to set up the calls. And so yeah, we use Active Campaign as our uh, CRM. So that's Annie loves that. She's a huge fan of it. She's I work in it as well, um, but I used to use Mailchimp. But yeah, Active Campaign seems to be a lot more robust than Mailchimp was. So. Gotcha. What uh, just got, what is um, what are the costs associated with Active Campaign? I don't so remember any. Yeah, so we're not using it as a full CRM. Um, so we're using it primarily for the automations and for the uh, mail servers. Mm -hmm. um, and so for up to a thousand subscribers, it's uh, $29 a month. So it's pretty oh, reasonable. Yeah. Oh, one other thing that we use is Slack. I just wanted to mention um, Slack. It's like a messaging, internal messaging system, but um, I, that's something that's been really helpful for us to keep our conversations organized. So for every discussion that we have, whether it's marketing or a particular deal or social media, we have a channel for each one of those discussions. And so it's never like, oh my gosh, searching through emails or trying to remember what somebody said, or you know, we have one channel for events. So everything that we do for various events or speaking events that we're gonna be doing, it's every, all those discussions and conversations are in that, those channels. So another good thing to um to use and as, well. as we're starting to grow our team we're able to invite um for example we have an seo expert and we have a social media expert so we're able to invite them to our slack channel and then we don't have to add them to all of the channels all of the conversations mm -hmm. but we can add them to the specific conversations so they can see the history of everything that we've talked about gotcha now i'm familiar with slack and i think i even have it on my phone i've just never you know it's one of those mm -hmm. ones where um it's hard to get people you got to have you have more than one people to be you know on board with it right, right. yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it would be, we're talking about me sort of coming on more, um, you know, I'm, I'm here at the podcast, but I'm not really doing mm -hmm. a lot else with the real estate stuff. So that would be something yeah. that you and I could use particularly mm -hmm. since. Yeah, you know, absolutely. At work. Awesome. All right. Well, that leads that you're, so you've got your SEO expert, you've got your social media people. Do you have anybody else that um, you guys have invited onto your team? Not at the yeah. moment. It's not for lack of trying, though. You know, we okay. Here's the thing, right? Um, and some of your listeners may be in this boat. Is it took us a long time to get to the point where we were ready to hire uh, VAs, 
And it's not that we don't trust people. It's not that we didn't want to spend the money. It's just, you know, it takes time to find the right people. And when I was staring at my screen and saying, I need to get this blog post out by 5 p.m. today, am I going to train somebody to find somebody and train them to do it in that Mm -hmm. time? Or is it easier to just do it myself? Okay, I'll just do it myself this one time. But next time, (laughs) (laughs) it never happened, right? Because when you have those breaks, you're like, ah, I'm going to enjoy my break. I'm not going to hire a VA. And then when those crunch times come, then, you know, you're, you're just busy doing, you can't go out and find somebody. And so it took us a long time to get to a point where we were finally like, okay, we just, we need to do this. And you know what? It was much easier than I had anticipated. We used a service called FreeUp. It, free has three E's in it, freeup.com. And um, what's great about FreeUp is that they pre-screen everybody on their platform. And so unlike other services where anybody can join, FreeUp only takes the top 1% of applicants. And so by the time they come to me, I already know that they've been pre-vetted, that they're hard workers. Um, and so I didn't have to spend very much time at all to find some really good people. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And that was, and that was opposed to Upwork. Was that the other, Upwork was the other one? Right. Yeah, that's my experience as well. Upwork is like, great, you can find the diamonds in the rough every once in a while, but you, right. a lot of times it's digging through <laughs> yeah. a lot of... Uh, yeah, yeah. free up. They do the, the digging for you. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. <laughs> we do the digging for you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you, obviously, I know the answer to this. Um, you, you guys invest long distance. Neither one of you live, you invest primarily in Dallas. Neither one of you live in Dallas. Right. Oh. That's right. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a cool town. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, but you both, uh, are you both in the Bay Area now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I lived in the Barrier for a while as well, and if I had my choice, I'd probably live in the Barrier over Dallas as well. But um, <laughs> no, no offense to Dallas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's too hot. I mean, yeah, I don't want to yeah. go from yeah. desert to humid. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, but it's got great job growth. It does. Yeah. It's got a great. It's a great <laughs> yeah. economy. It's a great economy. <laughs> um, and is that uh, is Dallas the only market you're in? Nope. We're also in San Antonio, uh, Huntsville, Florida is where we have one self-storage um, property. And then uh, Rodswell, Georgia, Atlanta, suburb of Atlanta, Georgia is where we have another um, self-storage too. Mm-hmm. And are you, do you currently only have one sponsor you're working with or how many sponsors are you currently working with? I think we have about three uh, multifamily sponsors and then uh, one self-storage and one uh, mobile home park. Gotcha. gotcha. Yeah. Um, so are you, do you guys go visit the properties for these syndications ever in the beginning? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <Work> throughout. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, we're out there. We, we were just out there uh, a couple of months ago in September uh, I was out there at the end of August um, visiting some of our existing properties. Uh, we don't always necessarily go just because when there's a new deal. Um, it really depends. If it's a new area, um, a new submarket, then we may consider it. But uh, most of the properties that we invest in in Dallas are all within sort of the same area. So I've been there, 
a number of times over the last year or so. Yeah. Could you, um, this is an important question for a lot of our listeners. Could you run your business from anywhere in the world? Do you think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. I think so. Yeah. Anywhere with a Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was in Hawaii over the summer for a month and I was working while I was there. Annie was just in uh, China for two weeks and she was working while she was there. A little bit harder when she was in China because we were dealing with the time change um, or the time difference, I should say. And uh, so, but yeah, no, definitely. I, I think we could. Mm. Uh, and Annie, what was that? Uh, what was the biggest challenge as far as the time difference? doing it from all the way on the other side of the world oh my gosh it, you know what the time the time difference wasn't as big of a, a factor as having my kids around all the time mm -hmm. and Julie had this in Hawaii too you know when I'm at home my kids are in school during <laughs> I have long swaths of time where I can be by myself at my computer doing my work and when we were on this family vacation in China, there were, I mean, we did the sightseeing, we went to see family, and my, it was great. I had my kids around all the time. And that's what this is all about, right? Being able to spend time with your family. So I loved that. But the, it made doing the work a little bit more challenging. So I tried to front load as much as possible. So I did a lot of the work ahead of time before the trip scheduled blog posts, scheduled emails, created newsletters, things like that. And then there were pieces that I knew I needed to do during the trip. So they were a little harder because after a long day of sightseeing, you know, it's hard to refocus yeah. and um, sometimes hard to get a good Wi-Fi signal. And so I would say those are the, the bigger challenges. How old are your kids? They are two boys, six and two. Okay. Yeah. So you've got little ones. Yeah. We've got a four-year-old and I'm trying to figure out like, I, I, I'm stuck on wanting to homeschool him. The so schools uh, here, yeah. the schools aren't great. And I'm like, can I make this work? Does he have the attention span that he can go out? Cause he's going to, you know, it's kindergarten next year. Um, so it's sort of like a long, like <laughs> family vacation drawn out over time. Right. How do yeah. I, how do I balance both? So yeah, with the little ones, it's definitely harder. Once yeah. they get older, I'm sure you can be like, this is my time. You go be on your computer. <laughs> yeah. So what do you, as far as, um, syndicating and capital raising, what do you think is the most important skill for someone who is going to do what you do to develop in themselves? For me, I would say the most important skill is being able to take a complex subject like investing in a syndication and terms like capital injection and refinance and all this lingo and translate it into common language that people understand. I think a big part of this business is people and talking to people is so important. And so much of what we see in the business is, you know, people just adding lingo on top of lingo and nobody knows what you're talking about anymore. And so I think a big skill that's, that's so crucial is just being able to, you know, be humble and be authentic and use common language and being able to break down those complex terms into easy to understand concepts. Do you agree, I, do you agree Julie? 
Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. That's that's um, something that I would have also said. But um, for me, I would say the biggest thing is probably determination. It, there's this is such a complex thing, as Annie said, right? And it's it's very easy to jump in and get very overwhelmed. I talk to people all the time who want to pick my brain, and they just they get really overwhelmed. And I would say that determination, like you got to be determined to you know, get to that goal, whatever it is, however you think that multifamily syndication is going to help you get to where you're going, you have to be determined, keep your eye on the prize and don't lose sight. Because if you can keep your eye focused and, and be determined, you're, you're going to get there one way or another. And I think that in this business, you have to be that level of determined in order to get to where you're trying to go, because there are a lot of obstacles that are going to come up along the way that you're not going to want to deal with. And um, it's very easy to say, ah, oh, this is just this. Maybe I'm not enough for this. This is too advanced for me. Maybe I should just stick with single family homes. Maybe I should just, you know, stick with my job for the next 30 years of my life. But I think if you stay determined, you'll be able to get where you're trying to go. Awesome. So if you guys could, um, press a magic reset button that allowed you to go back and start over again. Is there anything that you would do differently or start sooner? Yeah. For me, I would say that I wish that I had understood the potential of real estate investing way back when. I mean, I fell into it back in 2009 and 10, but was very casual about it. You know, didn't really realize the power and had I realized the power of real estate investing and leverage and all the great things that real estate investing has to offer, I probably would, you know, have quit my job like maybe eight, nine years ago, you know? Um, but instead it took me, you know, all this time to, to get where I am. So for me, it would have just been to, to get in sooner and educate myself more and sooner, but I think bigger pockets was around back then. I don't remember. I think it's been around for a while, but, um, yeah, I wish I had stumbled across bigger pockets a lot sooner. <laughs> yeah. Bigger rabbits, you mean? Bigger rabbits. <laughs> and for me, similar, you know, I, I wish that I had put more time into learning more about real estate investing earlier on. You know, it, for a long time, this whole house hacking thing was just something we did. It sort of made sense to me. But we didn't run the, you know, that first duplex that we bought, we didn't run the numbers. We didn't you know what a cap rate was. We were just, you know, we were just like, yeah, we think this could work. You know, I think we could rent it out for this much. And, you know, it looks pretty good. We'll put some of our own sweat equity into it. It'll be fine. And, um, you know, we were pretty happy with it. And it took a few more years before we bought our second one. But we were building equity in that first one. And... Meanwhile, we could have been leveraging that equity or we could have been creatively financing another property. So I think we, we could have scaled faster had we put more time and effort into it earlier on. So I want you to imagine you're standing in a room full of um, people, um, potential investors, people looking to do real estate. You know, they have a family, a full-time job, um, a lot uh, like, like when you guys were starting out. What are two or three strategies that you could recommend for them to get started and best ensure their success? I would say for me, it's invest in yourself first. Annie had mentioned this earlier, get a mentor. You know, even if it's an informal situation, find someone who's willing to mentor you because I think that that's gonna catapult you from one place to the next much faster than if you were to try to do it on your own. That's one thing. And the other thing is to network. I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, 
networking was probably the biggest piece to how I got from where I was to where I am today. I just networked like crazy, talked to everyone that I could that would give me the time. I made, I built relationships with these people and, you know, people remembered what I wanted to do and they would reach out to me and vice versa. And so I started to build myself a community of folks who were doing what I wanted to do. And I would feel like that's so huge. Um, And then lastly, it's don't be afraid to pull the trigger, you know, don't get stuck in analysis paralysis, like analysis paralysis, like get out there, do a deal. Don't, don't just get stuck and, and say, oh my gosh, you know, it's so risky. I'm afraid. What if I lose the money? I mean, at the end of the day, if you lose a small investment, that's not really the best ideal situation. But the way I look at it is that as long as I have my kids and my family and I'm healthy, I've got food on the table and a roof over my head, then I'm good. Right. So don't be afraid to, to pull that trigger. But those are, those are my top three. You literally took my top three. Which is add that, you know, on that last one, you know, if any money that you lose by doing a deal is education money, you, you know, it's the real world classroom. Rod Cleave calls it uh, seminars, you know, and so don't be afraid to lose a little bit of money on those first few deals. We've all lost money here or there on deals. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, as uh-huh. some people would lead you to believe. Uh-huh. Um, and so don't be afraid to to make some mistakes early on. And you'll learn so much more than if you just sat back and tried to research your way out of it. Julie and Annie, it's been so great talking to you. Um, Before we we go, you guys had mentioned something uh, that you guys have a a course on passive investing. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We just launched it and we're we're very excited about it. It's called Passive Real Estate Investor Academy. And the whole goal of this online course is to give you everything you need to invest confidently in your first real estate syndication. So we go through everything from defining your investing goals to walking through multiple real world deals, talking about all the different real estate terms that you would need to know, talking about how to find and evaluate deals, the risks, the tax benefits. We go through all of that. And it's a six week course and, um, and it's, uh, it'll give you everything you need to know. Um, so if you wanted to learn more about that, you can go to PassiveInvestorAcademy.com. Great. Um, and then are you still planning to do a podcast? Yes, hopefully. Hopefully sometime <laughs> next year. We're working on it. Yeah. Well, well we're big fans, so uh, yeah. you, we'd be listeners. So, um, well, thank you so much for, for sharing with us today. Is there, if any of our guests wanted to reach out to you, uh, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yep. So they can reach Julie at Julie at goodegginvestments.com and Annie at Annie at goodegginvestments.com. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks so much for having us. This is so much fun. All right. Okay, so that was Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb of Good Egg Investments. Uh, it was really great talking to them. So what, what were the some of the key lessons? I think right there at the end, really, with the, the strategies, they were talking about the two or three strategies for beginners. This is a really good to know. Get a mentor. And that doesn't have to mean, you know, find a mentor necessarily one-on-one at first. Also finding just like a really good source of consistent information. And that's where something like a podcast like this, their sort of, you know, their email 
drip system or bigger pockets and sort of like tackling, you know, that kind of source of information and start there and then find someone that you would within those that you feel like would be a good um, mentor, whether that, you know, is, is a program or just somebody, you know, like the good egg investments where you can um, be an investor and sort of get some mentoring along the way, which is kind of what uh, Julie did. Yep. yep. I agree. Um, so what, uh, how much knowledge do you think it took them to get started? Um, how much time did it take? How much time did it take to get knowledge? Well, I think, I don't know. It sounded like both of them did a lot of research. So, you know, probably uh, some of it, I mean, several months to a year of, of really putting time. I mean, some, some of it, um, it sounded like Julie kind of jumped right into being a passive investor and, mm -hmm. and, you know, doing some research along the way. Um, so I think it depends on really where you want to get started to get to where they're at. Obviously a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, Julie, um, what I gathered from it, Julie said to, to get educated on syndication, it took her, I'd say about seven to 12 months. Yeah. 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 And Sorry. money, what kind of money did they get started with? Um, with syndications or with their, well, I guess we can do both. Um, well, I mean with their, uh, their house hacking or the, even the, the like Burr, uh, single family home methods, it sounds like, um, some of it was just cash and probably I would guess in the 50 to, uh, $99,000 yeah. sort of range, um, just based on where they were buying. Yeah. Um, and um, and then you know we've talked about this before for syndication, that's typically you're putting in what have we said like twenty five to, to fifty is usually the the minimum investment. So as a passive investor, as a passive investor, what were they doing as far as time? How much time do you think that they were doing? Well, right now they have anywhere from like a part time to a full time job worth of time. Um, you know, for if you really are just mostly doing passive investments, you're not bringing in investors, then you're really looking at very minimal time. Um, you know, it just depends on kind of what you want or if you're doing a little bit of each, you know, they're obviously they're, they're putting together a whole company. So yeah. you could probably do this with 20 hours. Yeah. You know? I would say minimum for what they're doing as far as putting their company together. Um, I would say minimum 20 hours. It sounds more like it's a full-time job most of the time, although yeah. they, they have to have some um, they do have some freedom. Mm -hmm. yeah, and so. what about location? And location. Well, as we talked about, it's fairly location independent. Um, you know, obviously the the terms of the <laughs> the location um, can change how easy that is. But, um, you know, with all other things sort of accounted for, you got Wi-Fi and you can figure out the time change. Uh, you can do this job anywhere. Yeah. Cool. Well, they both, um, you know, they both don't, live where they invest. So that's yeah. already, um, and yeah. then also, uh, Julie said she spent a month in Hawaii and, uh, Annie spent uh, a couple of weeks in China. So, yeah. um, so it's definitely something you can do. I would say, I'm going to say that it's, this is completely location independent. I think so. Know? I think so. They would still be traveling to some of the, the location. They still travel to the locations and things. So it's, yeah. it's not like you never have like are in that area. Yeah. All right. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.